You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Good morning. This is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, I know many of you will watch a football game. Some of you will watch commercials in between people playing football. Some of you are going to be watching for Taylor Swift appearances in between football plays. Uh, So depending on your interest might depend on uh, what you're doing this afternoon. Uh, The commercials are always kind of interesting, aren't they? Nowadays, they release the commercials in advance. I saw this week on the internet, it was like the 10 best Super Bowl commercials. I was like, oh, already? And And you could watch them on YouTube. So I did. Um, but a couple of years ago, Southwest Airlines had some commercials, and they were people in kind of embarrassing situations, different situations. I remember one was a guy was cooking for his girlfriend, and he's making pasta, and the sauce spills, and it spills on the girlfriend's white cat, and so it looks like blood, and then he has a knife, and he's been cutting, and something falls, and he picks it up, and she walks in. And then it's the tagline, want to get away? And it was different commercials like that. And it was, do you want to get away? Do you want to go somewhere? And even now, if you go to Southwest, they have like the want to get away fair or whatever, you know, and it's just a change of scenery. I'm on a text list with different pastors in, in Colorado. And last week we were texting and guys were talking about how much snow uh, that they got, and, and we were praying for one another early on Sunday morning. And then one guy, he's like, my view, and he was down in Florida. And then I got to go to church with that in my heart. You know what I'm saying? And we're in Mark chapter 7 this morning. We've been going through the book of Mark, and in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. We preached last week out of the end of Mark chapter 6 where uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The beginning of Mark chapter 7, Jesus has this discussion with the Pharisees about hand washing. And really, it's a discussion about the traditions of man and how the, the Jews elevated that to almost be equal with the word of God. When Jesus was like, this isn't what God has commanded. And then we come to Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24. It says, then Jesus left Galilee. He, I I think it's safe to say that maybe he wanted to get away. He was in the north part of Israel But now he's going to go even farther north. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 7 records the farthest north that Jesus travels. He goes a little bit to the west from the Galilee area around the Sea of Galilee or the the large Lake of Galilee. He's going to go to a town called Tyre, which is on the Mediterranean Sea. And then he'll go even farther north to to, to Sidon which is the farthest north that Jesus, is, it's ever recorded that he traveled. 
And if you remember last week, he had tried to get away with his disciples and they were going to kind of have a retreat, but people followed him to the point that there were tens of thousands of people. And so now after having this interaction with the Pharisees, it says he left Galilee. He went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little her <clears throat> excuse me, her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syria, Phoenicia, Jesus told her first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. And so we want to see a couple of things about this interaction. Jesus is going to uh, deal with Gentiles in Mark chapter 7, and we want to see some of these interactions. He leaves Galilee, leaves Israel, and goes to this area of Tyre in what is today modern-day Palestine. And so he goes up there, and he doesn't want anybody to know what house he's staying in, but word spreads pretty quick. So this lady comes, and she has this interaction. It's interesting, right? Really, Jesus can't be hidden. It's not something that we should hide as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we try, though, don't we? Maybe we go to work, and we don't really want anyone to know we're a Christian. Sometimes we go to places where we really don't want anybody to know we're a Christian. But Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It's not natural that Jesus would be hidden. And even here, when he goes to a Gentile place where they, they maybe wouldn't have known him as a prophet, but his reputation had already spread. Even when he didn't want people to know where he was staying, they found out. And this woman comes to him, this mother, whose child is possessed of a devil, a demon. And you can imagine maybe all that they had gone through. Other descriptions in the gospel of demon possession talk about things of, of the demons trying to harm the person that they're possessed, sometimes burning them, sometimes uh, they, would, they would smash themselves, cut themselves. And here a mom is watching that take place in her own daughter. And so she comes to Jesus asking to be relieved uh, of this possession for her daughter. And this very interesting interaction takes place. He said, 
he says to her, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. That's mean, isn't it? I mean, when you read that, and, and if you read it in, the, in a Bible that's where the words are written in red, those are the words of Jesus. Those don't sound like the loving words of Jesus, do they? I mean, let the little children come to me. I am the light of the world. Those are the words of Jesus we like to think of. Not, I should feed the Jews first, not the dogs. Then he says to this woman, Jews would often refer to Gentiles, which just means non-Jews, as dogs. Now, I don't know if they'd refer to them to their face that way, but undoubtedly, Gentiles who were bornering Israel, who interacted with Jews, probably knew how Jews felt about them. It's interesting even what the scripture uses, right? These terms, a Jew and a Gentile, meaning just everybody else. Why? Because the Jews were God's chosen people. Everybody else was not chosen, right? It's like if, if you have siblings, but you're the favorite, everybody else is not the favorite. And so this woman comes to Jesus and Jesus seems to embody this attitude. In the, in the Greek, there is some distinction here. Jesus doesn't use the word of like a, like kind of a mongrel dog, like would normally be used, but he uses the word for like a domesticated puppy. He softens it a little bit, but still he says what he says, which is, I've got to feed the children. It's not right that I would take the children's food and give it to, even if he's talking about the puppy. Jesus did come to the Jews. He says salvation is to the Jew first. It's also to the Greek. It's also to everybody else, but it's to the Jews first. Jesus was a Jew, and he came to the Jews as the Jewish Messiah. And sometimes we, we could be offended by that. I'm not Jewish. I've told you before, I took a DNA test. Um, and it just came back like pasty white guy. Like a hundred percent. I was looking for like one percent something exotic. Maybe I've got some island nation in me or nope. Just like bland English, French, that's it. So as far as I know, I don't have any Jewishness in me. But Jesus loved me. He offers salvation to me. 
but he came to the Jews first. He says that several times in the Gospels. I'm a person who, I grew up right here in Colorado. Super Bowl Sunday, we've got folks representing different teams. Listen, I love the Denver Broncos. I love the Denver Broncos. I know it's been a rough rough patch, but they're my favorite team. And frankly, they're awesome. Other teams, and I don't want to name them, they know who they are. And it's not just that I like the football team. We live in Colorado. Have you looked outside? Amen? Have you seen the mountains? I mean, I was doing, I was on FaceTime the other day with somebody, and I, and they're like, "Oh, Colorado, what's that like?" I'm up in my office, and it's clear day. I'm like, flip the camera around like that. I'm sorry. How's your Midwestern view? That's what I wanted to say. If I've offended you, go outside and look at the mountains. I'm proud to be from Colorado. I'm proud to be born in the United States of America. Listen, when the Olympics roll around and it's like, you know, two-man, 400-meter rowing, I'm like, USA, I don't know anything about rowing, but I want our guys to win. You know, when it's like, uh, I don't know, fencing, it doesn't matter what's on. If an American's doing it, man, I want the Americans to win. But America's not perfect. Colorado's not perfect. The Broncos aren't perfect. That hurt. Not going to lie. The evidence is there. It's clear. And so sometimes we read this interaction and it seems like Jesus is being harsh. But he gives the woman what she wants. Her daughter is, the demons are cast out. He performs the miracle that she asked for. And her response is very telling because she doesn't say, how dare you talk to me that way? What she says is, hey, even those puppies milling around under the table, they get some scraps from the kids. Sometimes in dealing with God, if we're not careful, we can let our pride get in the way. And even as a pastor, sometimes I'll deal with people and they'll say, well, I can't believe God allowed this to happen or I can't believe, listen, that's not really an understanding of who God is. Isaiah chapter six, it says this, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. 
He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. The prophet Isaiah gets a vision of God himself. And he says, this was the year and I saw a vision of God. His his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth was filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is given this vision and the temple was the very center of Jewish worship. It was the thing that the Jews were most proud of because that's where God's spirit dwelt, but also it was an amazing building. They had put as much resources, as much artisan and craftsmanship into it as they could. And so Isaiah is given this vision and in it, God's presence fills the temple. There's smoke and these angels are yelling, are are proclaiming so much that it is shaking the temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And given this vision, Isaiah doesn't say, I was so proud to be a Jew and to see God in our temple. That wasn't his reaction. He didn't stand up and salute. He fell to the ground. He says in in verse number Five. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's army. The King James version says that Isaiah said, woe is me. I'm undone. When we get a vision of God, The reflection of that helps us see ourselves in comparison to the holiness of God. It's interesting what Isaiah says, right? He says, I'm unclean. I have unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. I say things that are sinful and everybody around me speaks sinfulness because he has just been given a vision of holy, almighty God. And his response to that is humility. We can see and we should be motivated by the example of this Gentile woman who encountering Jesus is not offended because she's not a Jew. Anything she can get from Jesus, she wants. And what does Jesus give her? Everything she needs, right? She goes back home and her little girl is there taking a nap and and she's the girl that, that she was before she was possessed of the demon. She got everything that she asked for from the Savior. 
But we have to come in humility. God forbid that we experience God's grace for so long that we might actually think we deserve it. That God is lucky to have us. That was the problem with the Pharisees, was it not? That they thought that they earned God's favor. That was the beginning of Mark chapter 7. They're like, well, your disciples aren't going through all the rituals. The Pharisees would come in. I mean, they would wash their hands a certain way. They would dunk their hands in water. They would, I mean, it made the health department regulations look like nothing. They had this whole thing that they would do. And then they would be like, now I can eat. God is pleased with me. As if we could wash away our filthiness. As if on our own, we could do enough that God would look at us and go, oh, that's great. When the scripture says that the best we can do is filthy rags before God, before a holy God. Because if we get a glimpse of God, we'll realize we're undone. And so Jesus, after having traveled up to Tyre, He heals this girl possessed of a demon. And then in Mark chapter 7 and verse 31, it says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. Now, this is a significant journey. It's over 20 miles from from Tyre up to Sidon. He gets up there and then walks probably close to 70 miles. This wasn't something that happened in a day. He goes to the area of Decapolis, these 10 cities that's on the eastern side of the Jordan and of the Sea of Galilee and down on the southeastern shore or the southeastern area of the Sea of Galilee. He essentially walks from up northwest around Galilee and down to the area of these 10 cities. It's a significant journey that Jesus makes. And undoubtedly, it took days. There were events that took place, but Mark just kind of skips over that. And he brings us to this area of these 10 cities. These cities that were built first by the Greeks and then now would become kind of a central Roman area, but were also an area that was predominantly not Jewish. It says a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ear, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, F, F, I practiced that this week too. I was like, here's how you need to do it. Don't be like, which I knew is what I was going to do. Jesus said, F, Fafatha, that's it, which means be opened. I'm going to spit on my fingers now. Pithin do my tongue. 
Instantly, the man could, be, could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear. He gives speech to those who cannot speak. It's interesting here, and we're not going to take a lot of time this morning. Sometimes we read these things. It, it seems odd the way Jesus operates, doesn't it? With the woman in Tyre, he, he doesn't go to the little girl. He doesn't interact with the demon as he did at other times. He just says to her, basically, go home. Your daughter's fine. And she goes home and his daughter was fine. There's no rec record that Jesus ever met or interacted with the daughter at all. Now he comes to this area of these 10 cities and they, there is this man and, and the indication from, from some of the verbiage here is that he probably wasn't necessarily born deaf. Maybe he had an injury or an accident or maybe some kind of a chronic disease or something had caused him to lose his hearing. And whether because he had lost his hearing or maybe this condition also affected his speech, but now he, he, he can't speak and it's difficult to even understand him. And perhaps, you know, had he been born deaf, maybe he could have learned some signs and the ability to communicate. Maybe because this happened later on, he, he, he was even struggling more to communicate. We don't know. What we do know is that there was a group of people who were burdened for this man. They brought him to Jesus. They begged Jesus to heal him. Why Jesus did it the way he did it, I, I, it seems odd to me, right? He sticks his fingers in his ears. He spits on his fingers and he touches his tongue. He, before that, had pulled the man kind of away from the crowd. But he did for the man exactly what he needed. The Bible says he could hear perfectly. He could speak without any uh, impedimentation, which may or may not be a word. But he could speak clearly. The man was healed. But here's what I want us to see. They were completely amazed. Jesus told him in verse 36, don't tell anybody. Keep it to yourself. At every turn, Jesus is trying to kind of push down the excitement that is coming and surrounding him. Pretty much the opposite of the way we all act all of the time, isn't it? I mean, if something great happens, you know, we've got to like make sure everybody knows. Look what I'm eating. Look where I'm at. Look what I'm doing. I mean, if I, if you brought in someone this morning that was deaf and couldn't talk and I laid hands on them and healed them, that would probably make my Instagram real. 
Now, I don't post on Instagram that much, but I'd figure that one out. Right? I mean, we want people to know. We boost our live stream. I don't know. That's that's a thing, right, we could do? <laughs> Jason's shaking his head. I just told you everything I know about the Internet. And Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. As if having witnessed that, then they wouldn't, you know, how was your day? Eh, fine, nothing happened. You know, Bob, deaf Bob, can't speak Bob. Yeah, he can hear and speak now. Who's not going to talk about that? What else could happen in your day that's bigger than that? And so it says that everywhere they went, they were completely amazed. Everything he does is wonderful, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. I want to close this morning out of Matthew chapter 5. I read earlier out of John chapter 8 where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. We read how Jesus tried to sneak into the town. He tried to be quiet about where he was staying, but he couldn't be hid because he's the light. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14, when Jesus is giving his sermon on the mount, he says this, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. In John 8, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And we can understand that. But here Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I think one of the greatest illustrations of that is what we see even, even at night right now. We understand that when the moon comes up, the moon does not produce on its own any light. But it is the reflection from the sun on the other side of the earth reflecting back to us. We can't see the sun, but we see its light reflected off the moon. And isn't it cool right now with all the snow on the ground? You can go outside at 10, 11 o'clock at night. It normally would be pitch black, but it you can see why. Because of the snow and the light reflecting off of that and it makes everything just that much lighter. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why? Because we're so great. People are going to see us and be drawn to us. No, because God living in us. This is what he desires to do. He desires to show his glory through you. Out of you. Sometimes I'll come home at night 
this time of year, right, you get off work and it's already dark and you pull in. And at my house, we've got the, the outside lights are on a timer and so they come on. So just because the porch light's on doesn't mean anybody's home. But even if the shades are drawn, if I see the light coming from the inside the house, I know people are home. And, and I think about that with, with us. That the light of God Almighty through his Holy Spirit indwelling us should shine out of us. People ought to see that. Because if we know Christ is our Savior, if we've been forgiven of the wrong things that we've done, that, but the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. People will see your good works and they won't glorify you. They'll glorify my father in heaven, Jesus said. Why? Because they'll recognize him through us. God desires for us to take his light with us everywhere we go. Everywhere. That means at work. That means to those family gatherings that can be kind of contentious. That means in traffic, which is always contentious. We are the light of the world. And Jesus, even as he went into the Gentile places, couldn't be hit. Even when he went to the people that he hadn't specifically been called to go to, still his light spilled out. His, his glory was seen. And God desires to use us in that way. Sometimes I'll talk to people in the preacher. And I go to work and I am the only believer in, in my whole office or in my whole area where I work. I'm the only one. Nobody else goes to church. No one else believes in God. No one else is trying to serve him. But God has put a light there. It's you. Let your light shine. The Jewish Jesus sent to the Jewish people as the Jewish Messiah traveled to the Gentile areas. And even there, he couldn't be had. He performed miracles. He changed lives. People were drawn to him. And as followers of Jesus, God lives in us. His Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we get to go and take that light to others. Let us this week be the light of the world wherever we're called. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we turn from our sin, the wrong things that we have done, and we ask God to forgive us, he is faithful to save us, to forgive us, to give us eternal life and life abundant. He sends his Holy Spirit to live within us, to be our companion, our guide. And if we will only turn from our own desires and our own sin and turn to God, in faith, believing in Jesus, he promises to save us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what our past looks like. He has a future prepared for us if we'll only turn to him. Oftentimes in the gospels, you would see people turning to Jesus and they would just simply say, Jesus, save me, save me. They recognized that they were in need of help and Jesus was sent by God to give that help. And today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, right there in your seat, you could simply pray to him, Jesus, save me. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. Maybe that's you. You say, you know, preacher, I recognize that I've done a lot of bad things in my life. Maybe... You didn't realize how much God loves you, but he does. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to give you the, the message that he loves you and to die in your place as a payment for your sin, for your wrongdoing. And today, if you will just, by faith, say, Lord, save me. Repent of those wrong things and Put your trust in Jesus. He promises to save you. Maybe you're here this morning and you know Christ, but sometimes you pull the shades down and do your best to hide the light. Maybe today you realize that God has a mission, a vision for you. Maybe it's in your own family. Maybe it's in your relationship with your friends. Maybe it's at your job or your school. But you recognize today that the light of the world dwells in you and desires to shine through you. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to take that light into the world where we live. God, that we would be faithful to do good works, not out of guilt, but to as an opportunity to share and show Jesus to others. God, if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would put their trust in you that they would repent of the wrong things that they have done and they would seek forgiveness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity we have 
to show Jesus to others. Help us to faithfully and humbly do that. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.